Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, and we'll be considering a very important subject as we look through, as we continue through the book of Romans. We come to chapter 12, and we'll be looking at verses 1 and 2. Classic passage. Uh, Many people memorize this passage. It's known by many. But I want to entitle the message this morning, Knowing God's Will. Knowing God's Will. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to be in your house. We thank you so much, Lord, for everyone who's here. And I know that we're all needy people. We need to be reminded, Lord, of your, your truth in the Scripture. And this passage is one that's so needed by all of us. And I pray that you would use it today to speak to our hearts. If there's someone here today, Lord, who has never trusted Jesus as their personal Savior, help them to realize that need today and help them to also understand that every one of us have been in that position because everyone is lost until they trust Jesus as their Savior. And it's our desire that they come to know the Lord as their personal Savior. So if anyone like that, Lord, we just ask that today might be the day of salvation for them. Thank you for your word. I pray you give enablement to bring it today as I preach the word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God's will should be the desire of every Christian. Everybody here who knows Jesus as their Savior should have a deep desire to do exactly what God's will is for them. If we believe that God is holy, if we believe that God is all-knowing, that he's all-wise, that he's everywhere present, that he's all-powerful, and that he's good, then we should want to know what God's will for our life is. Let's think about it for just a minute. If God is holy, that means there is no impurity in him. No one is like him. Holy means set apart. So there's nobody like him. He's set apart from all others. He is the only God And no one is as powerful or as wise as he is. So we're talking about a God having plans for us, his will, and he's a holy God. Also, he's all-knowing. That means he knows everything, the past, the present, and the future. And then there's one other area that he knows, and that is what if. God knows what if. Nothing takes him by surprise. He never forgets anything. He never learns because he already knows. As I remember a professor many, many years ago saying to us, did it ever occur to you that nothing ever occurred to God? God never said, oh, I just thought of something. No, God knows everything. He knows it all the time. He always has. He always will. He's the all-knowing God. And then he's all-wise. All wise means that he has the ability to use the knowledge and experience that he has to make sound decisions with uh, complete understanding, and he absolutely makes no mistakes. So God's will for your life is without mistake. It's without imperfection. It's exactly right. He's also everywhere present. That means nothing is hidden from him because he is everywhere. 
A circumstance about another person, he already knows about it. A circumstance that is happening in another place, he always already knows about it because he's there. He's everywhere present. There's no such thing as a God-forsaken place because God is there. He's also all-powerful. That means that there's nothing too hard for God. He can do anything but sin and fail. He can do anything but sin and he can do anything but fail. Nothing he has planned for you is too hard for him to accomplish. So his will is very doable because he's the one that can accomplish it and nothing accomplish it and nothing's too hard for him. God is also good. Psalm 73 verse 1 says, "Truly God is good to Israel even to such as are of a clean heart." God is good. He's a good God. Matthew chapter 17, verse 17 says, There is none good but one. And who said that? Jesus said that because they said, uh, You're good. Well, he knew he was good. He was God. But he reminded them, Now, you're going to call me good. I want to remind you something. There's no one good but God. He's the only one. He's totally good. So God is good. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. Jesus went about doing good. We can understand that because he is good. God's goodness is seen in the fact that he is holy. God's goodness is seen in the fact that he's true, that he's love, and that he's faithful. In fact, Romans chapter 8 tells us that God is love, and there's there's something we can take from that that's very special to us. And it says in Romans 8 verse 31, it says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So if he loved us enough to die for us, he loves us enough to do good things for us and give us all things that we need. God is a good God, and he's faithful. So he's holy, true, loving, and faithful, so he is a good God. Because of who God is, there is no possible way that he will, for for the believer, do anything that's against the believer, and there's no possible way that God's will for the believer could be wrong. It could be less than perfect because it has to be good because he's good. And so God's will is is what we should have, what what we should desire. In fact, our, our text describes God's will as good, acceptable, and perfect. Now, you can't beat that. And we'll look at those words in a few minutes. So how can we know God's will for our life? That's a question all of us need to ask, and many want to know that. How can I know God's will for my life? Many times when we say that, we're thinking about something in the future. What does God want me to do in the future? But let's talk about God's will right now, first of all. How can I know God's will for my life? First of all, the first thing is this, you must be saved. You see, you can't know God's will for your life until you're saved. God's not going to reveal to you his plan for you you, unless you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Now, the way to be saved is to come to the place where you realize what God says about you is true, and that that is, you're a sinner. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned, the Bible says, have come short of the glory of God, and there's none that are righteous. And so all of us are sinners. All of us are separated from God because of our sin. 
But the Bible says God loved us enough that he sent Jesus from heaven to this earth and he became a man so he could die in our place. And on the cross of Calvary, he took all of our sin. He died for us. He suffered for us. He bled for us. He was separated from God for us. And then after he died, they buried him, put him in a tomb. And then three days later, he rose victorious as proof that he had paid everything, that he did what he came to do, and that is he died for our sins. And if you will believe that and trust Jesus as your Savior, you can be saved. I was in the rest home the other day, and a man that I'd known for several years, I saw him. I hadn't been to the rest home for a long time because of COVID. I used to have a a service there every month, but they stopped that. And he was wheeling himself down down the aisle, and I went up behind him and mentioned his name, and he said... And, I, and he recognized my voice after a while. And he said, my preacher. <laughs> and then he said, I want to tell you the sinner's prayer. And well-meaning, he said this, you know. And he said, you asked Jesus into your heart. And he went on and on and on. And I said, there's one thing wrong with what you said. He said, what's that? I said, you never told them to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there is a message that must be believed. And that message is that Jesus died for you on the cross of Calvary. He shed his blood for you. He was buried. He rose again the third day. He's alive. Jesus paid it all for you on the cross of Calvary. You must believe that. And so before you ever know God's will, you must be saved. And this text points this out because it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. Brethren are believers. And so believers are the ones who can know God's will. First thing, to know God's will, you must be saved. The second thing you must do to know God's will is that you must consider the goodness of God. You must consider the goodness of God. Notice what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. The mercies of God. God has been very merciful to all of us. He's a merciful God. And the devil does not want you to understand that God is merciful. You see, if you're a, let's say you're a young person, well, it doesn't matter if you're young or old, or older or old or whatever you want to say, Uh, whoever you are, when you are faced with a temptation and the devil's behind that temptation, he's wanting you to sin, I'll guarantee you one thing he does not want you to think about, and that is how good God is to you. He doesn't want you to think about that. And so he doesn't want you to concentrate on the mercies of God. So God says, I beseech you, and he's talking about knowing the will of God. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Remember the mercies of God. What are the mercies of God? Well, we look just at the book of Romans, and he tells us that. He says, all have sinned. That means we're all sinners. He says, Jesus died for sinners, Romans 5, verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And God justifies those who believes in Jesus. Justified means he declares you righteous. So you could come here a lost sinner with all kinds of problems and you come to know Jesus as your personal Savior and God looks at you and says, I declare you to be righteous. I've taken away all your sin. I've forgiven you and I give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I declare you to be righteous. That's justified. And that's, that's a great mercy. So when the devil... Uh, tempts you with an evil, you need to remember, God's been so good to me. I deserve to go to hell, but he saved me and justified me. And so I've been justified. Romans 5, verse 1, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's justified, that means uh, us, that means he's forgiven us. 
How can he declare us to be righteous if he hasn't taken away our sin and forgiven us? He has forgiven us, and Romans 4, 7 tells us that. That means there's no condemnation. That means we will never have to go to hell. We don't have to worry about it. Long time in my life, I worried about that. Even though I was a professing Christian, I worried about it until I finally accepted Jesus as my personal Savior, put my faith in him without any doubt. I put my faith in him. And since that day, I've never worried about going to hell because the Lord says no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He says it like this in chapter 5, verse 9. We were saved from wrath. The mercies of God. He has saved us from the wrath. I don't have to go to hell. No condemnation. Wow, that's great. Why should I listen to the devil when the Lord's done all this for me? And then there's another thing about God's mercy, and that is God gives us his righteousness. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says we, it's the gift of righteousness. Romans 4, verse 5 says faith is counted for righteousness. We have, we have faith in the Lord. He gives us his righteousness. Taking away our th- sins is one thing. Forgiving us is one thing. But unless we have that positive righteousness, we can't be accepted by God. And God gives us the righteousness of Jesus, clothes us in his righteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ, how good God is. Romans chapter 4, verse 11 says he imputes that righteousness to it. He gives it to us. He imputes it to us. He puts it to our account so that when God looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Jesus and it's been put to our account and we're accepted in the Beloved. The Bible also says in Romans 8, verse 9, about the mercies of God, that God indwells us by His Spirit. So we're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 16 says we are children of God, heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's pretty good. I mean, when the devil tempts us to sin, we have to say, now wait a minute, why should I follow you when God's done all these good things for me? But the devil doesn't want you to think about that. He doesn't want you to think about the goodness to God, of, of the Lord. So I beseech you, therefore, by the mercies of God. Also, God's given us wonderful promises. Chapter 8, verse eight, 18. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. It says it's, it's wonderful. Romans 8, 28. He works all things together for good to those that love God. That's a mercy of God. God promises you, regardless what happens in your life, because I love you and I'm working in your life, I'm going to work it all out together for good. There might be bad things happening, but I'll work it for good for you. I promise you that. Romans 8 verse 37 says, We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. A wonderful promise of the Lord. Also, he gives us another promise. And he says in verse 38 and verse 39 that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. And then a final promise I want to mention that he mentions that he gives us in this passage in Romans, and that is he promises that we will be glorified. That means we will have a brand new body. And so the mercies of God are really the basis for all holy living. Why should I live for Jesus? I should live for Jesus because he's done so much for me. The mercies of God. So the Lord wants you to remember his mercies. So before you know God's will, you're going to have to remember how good God is to you. Now, Satan wants you to forget the mercies of God. When you're tempted to sin, as I said, and reject God's will for your life, Satan will do all he can to keep your mind on the promise of pleasure and not the, not the, not the mercies of the Lord. He'll say, look, if you, if you follow the Lord, look what you're going to miss. 
Look at the good time you're going to have. Look at the friends you're going to have. Look at all of this. Look at the pleasure of sin. And he won't tell you it's for a season. The Lord says it's for a season. So the devil doesn't want you to think about how good God is. So he says, if you're going to know God's will, you're going to have to remember the mercies of God. Remember how he worked with, with how the devil worked with Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were special people made directly by the hand of God. And there they are in the garden, and God told them they could do all, have all this, everything he'd provided for them. I mean, Adam had a beautiful wife, handmade by God. She was perfect. Eve had a, be- had a wonderful husband, handmade by God. He was perfect. No sin, no imperfections, nothing wrong with them. They had a perfect surrounding. He just told them not to do, not to do one thing. He says, you can have all the fruits and all the, all the Garden of Eden, all of this. There's only one fruit you can't eat, and that's the fruit of the, tri- the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that. In the day you eat it, you'll surely die. So Satan comes along. He doesn't remind them how good God has been to them. He doesn't remind them of all the things that God has done for them. He centered his attention on that one thing that God told him he couldn't have, and he made it look good. And he tempted Eve to sin, and she sinned. Doesn't the devil do that every time you're tempted to sin? He makes it look so good. And he doesn't want you to think about how good God has been to you. He doesn't want you to think about the mercies of God. He wants you to think about sin and what you could get out of it. And he doesn't tell you about all the repercussions. He just tells you about pleasures for a while. And if you fall for that, you've rejected the will of God and taken the will of the devil. And it's always a bad deal. You see, God wants us to remember his mercies. And then there's another thing that we have to do if we're going to know the will of God, and that was, is we must present our bodies to God. We must present our bodies to God. Notice what it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. We must present our bodies. Now, what does that mean? Present our bodies. To present our bodies, the word present means to place at one's disposal. That means we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. You can have me. You can use me. You can tell me what to do. You can tell me what not to do. I will obey you. Lord, I am yours. I present myself. I present my body to you. This word, present, will help, help us understand it if we see some other places it is. And I looked this up in the Greek New Testament. And the word present there means put at one's disposal, but it's used in other places. Look at chapter 6, verse 13. Chapter 6, verse 13. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't let the devil use you uh, to do unrighteous things. But yield yourselves to God so he can use you to do righteous things. And the same word that's translated present in Romans 12 is the word that's translated yield here. It means you put it at at disposal. You either put your body or life at the devil's disposal or you put your body or life at the Lord's disposal and let him do what he wants you to do. 
And so that's what the word means. We also see the word in Luke chapter 1. You don't have to look it up. But Gabriel was talking to Mary, and he says, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. I'm Gabriel that stands in the presence of God. The word stand there is the word present. It's the same word. Here I am. I stand in the presence. And so Gabriel was saying, I am Gabriel and I come before the Lord. I present myself to the Lord and I do whatever he wants me to do. I yield myself to him. I present myself to him. I stand in the presence of God. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus, they brought Jesus, and the Bible says they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, the same word. They brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as the Jewish people did in those days. They brought him, and they put him at God's disposal. Of course, he was God, but the, the parent, the Mary and, and the supposed father, uh, Joseph, brought him, as the Jews did, to present him to the Lord. Now, we should do that in our life as a Christian. There should be a time in your life, it's never happened, it should happen. There should be a time when you consciously say, Lord, I give myself to you. I'll do what you want me to do. I'll serve you, I'll go where you want me to go, I'll do what you want me to do. Lord, I am yours. And the Lord tells us to do that. Now, now if we don't, there will come a time that we will be presented to the Lord. In fact, the same word, the same Greek word is used in Romans chapter 14, verse 10, and says we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. The word stand is the word. We'll all be presented before the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be put at his disposal, and he can determine what rewards we get and all of that. We'll stand before the presence of the Lord. And so to know God's will, you must present your body to the Lord. Now let's think about the significance of the body. Why does God say your body? Well, that's very obvious. Everything I see out here today are bodies. I don't see in disembodied spirits floating around. God wants your body. That means you. And you live in your body, and so God says present your body to the Lord. Have you ever heard somebody say this? Well, I wasn't at church this morning. I went somewhere else, but I was there in the Spirit. I have never seen one person there in the Spirit. (laughs) They weren't there. (laughs) Because the only way you can be there is in the body. (laughs) That's the only way you can be there, is in the body. And so the Lord says, present your body to the Lord. Now, that's significant because God says your body. Your body, that's you. That's your physical structure. Now, what are you going to bring before the Lord, present him to, to the Lord? You're going to bring a, a, a body that you've misused, that you abuse all the time, and that you won't clean up. And you know, you know people who, who they're always dirty, and they, and they smell that way. And you, you know, if you come before the Lord, what do you do? You come before the Lord, and you want to be clean and healthy, and you want to be the best you can for the Lord, and you present yourself to the Lord. Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. That's why I think Christians should look different than others. We should act different than others because we present our bodies to the Lord and God's interested in our body. You remember the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 talking about a Christian who had committed adultery and the Lord says, What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of God which you have of God and you're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit which are the Lord's. 
What? How could you do such a thing when the Lord lives in your body, your body is the temple of God, and uh, how can you let your body be used for things that God says no to? And that God says, present your body to the Lord. Now, when you do that, your body becomes a sacrifice. It's, you know, in the Old Testament, they brought a sacrifice and presented it to the Lord. It could have been a lamb or a ram and, or maybe some... Uh, food that they brought to the Lord, first fruits, or whatever it might have been. They brought it to the Lord and presented it to the Lord. They gave it to the Lord. The Lord says, when you present your body to the Lord, it's like you offering a sacrifice to the Lord. And what kind of sacrifice is it? He says, first of all, it's a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, what did they do to the sacrifice? They killed him. But Jesus already did that. That pictured the death of Christ. But Jesus already died for us so that we could what? Die? No, so we could live for him. Some Christians die for their faith, but most don't. The Lord doesn't want us to die for him so much as he wants us to live for him. And so the Lord says we're living sacrifices. Also, he says of that sacrifice that it is a holy sacrifice. Holy sacrifice, that means set apart unto God. It's something that God says belongs to him, so you set it apart unto him, and you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, and it's acceptable unto God. It's acceptable. That means well-approved. It's pleasing to the Lord. God is pleased when you bring yourself to him. You might say, but I'm not as pretty as somebody else, or I'm not as good-looking as somebody else, or I'm not as skilled as somebody else. I don't have the abilities that somebody else has. God said, I didn't ask about that. I just said, present your body. Who made your body? The Lord did. Who gave you the abilities you have? The Lord did. Who gave you the mental abilities you have? The Lord did. Who, who gave you everything? The Lord did. You have nothing except it came from the Lord. And so you present your bodies to the Lord, and God says it'll be acceptable to him. God will take your offer. God will say, I wanted you to do this, and I am very pleased that you have. When you, regardless who you are, say to the Lord, Lord, I might not be much, but I'm yours. God says, I'm pleased with that. That's very acceptable. It's very pleasing to the Lord. And since God is pleased with our sacrifice, we should be pleased to present that sacrifice. It should please us to say to the Lord, here I am, Lord. You made me. I'm all yours. You're my my Savior. You're my Lord. I'm all yours. I'll do what you want me to do. And then the Lord says something else about that sacrifice. It's reasonable. It's a reasonable sacrifice. Reasonable, the word reasonable means rational. It's the smart thing to do. It's the wise thing to do. And you really think about it when the Lord says, you are not your own. (laughs) You don't belong to yourself. So it's only reasonable to give yourself to the one you belong to. And if you're a Christian, that means, and only Christians can do this, but that that means you understand, Lord, you bought and paid for me. I belong to you. I'm yours. So it's only reasonable thing that I would give myself to you, Lord. And so it's a reasonable sacrifice. So we must present our body to the Lord. How do we determine God's will? First of all, you've got to be saved. Secondly, you need to remember God's mercies. Thirdly, you have to present your body to the Lord as a living sacrifice. And then the next thing is this. You've got to fight against the world. You've got to fight against the world. Notice what it says in verse 2 again. 
Romans chapter 12. And, uh, and be not conformed to this world. Be not conformed to this world. The tense of the verb there, be not conformed, actually is in the the tense that says this, stop being conformed. So as Paul is talking to people who are already letting this process take place, they're already letting the world conform them to be what the world wants them to be or to act like the world wants them to be, but the Lord's... The Lord says in this passage, stop being conformed. So he says to us, stop being conformed. You want to know God's will? Then stop being conformed to the world. Now he uses the word conformed. The word conformed means fashioned or pressed into the mold. The world wants to fashion you, press you into its mold. Now let me tell you something the world cannot do. The world cannot take away your relationship with Jesus Christ in that you are his child. The world cannot take away the fact that you're saved. The world can't do that. But the world can make you look like the world, act like the world. In other words, you're masquerading around like a child of the devil when actually you're a child of the king. And the the world wants to do that. They want to conform you to the world. You know, the world doesn't like it when, when Christians act like Christians. When they do what Christians should do, when they love like Christians should love, loving each other and being kind to one another and all of that. The world doesn't like it when you, uh, when you let your whole actions be conformed to Jesus Christ. The world wants you to be more like them. You see, the, the world wants to take a Christian and take away their testimony by making them look like the world, act like the world, do what the world does. And that's the conformity of the world. Our outward appearance should not be contrary to our inward nature. You see, we are children of God. We have a righteous standing uh, before the Lord. We are righteous in Him, and we're a child of God. So we should not let the world conform us to be what we're not, we, we are children of the Lord, and we are to act like it. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10 says, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. And the word used for world here is not the word cosmos, which means the inhabited world and all of that. It's the word eon, which means age. That applies to any age. Don't let the world conform you to this. Don't let the world conform you to this age. And that's what, you know, the, the certain age we live in, the world has certain ways that they act and certain ways they talk and certain ways they dress and all of that. Attitudes they have. And the Lord says a Christian should not take on those, those appearances of the world. Don't let the world press you into its mold. Now, we who've known the Lord for a long time, that's not as big a challenge. We've known the Lord for a long time. We really don't care much about what the world thinks about us. (laughs) But I'll tell you who somebody that's really a challenge to, and that's young people. Young people today in school and young people today going off to college, I mean, they are really targets of the devil. 
And the devil wants to take, take that young person who loves the Lord and has been raised up in a Christian home and conform them. They can't take away their salvation, but they conform them to the world, the way the world thinks, the way the world acts, the way the world talks, the way the world looks, all of that. They conform them to the world so they don't stand out as a Christian, so they don't rebuke others' conduct because of their good conduct. The world wants you to be like it is. And so you have to fight that. And young people face a big challenge today, and we need to pray for them because that's surely true. We are God's children. We should not allow the world to conform to us to its image so that we masquerade around like a child of the devil. No child of God should act like a child of the devil. No child of God should talk like a child of the devil. No child of God should think like a child of the devil. No child of God should look like a child of the devil. I mean, you could go on and on. We are not to be conformed to this age. And then another thing is this. If you're going to know God's will, you've got to be transformed. Notice what it says. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word transformed is the word metamorphosis. It's the word that's used and translated in when, it, when Jesus was transfigured before their sight, before their eyes on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus, who had walked this earth as a human being, he was God, he was the God-man, but outwardly he had the appearance of a man because he was in a human body. And uh, you, can, you didn't see Jesus walk down the road and say, oh, look at that halo over his head. I was visiting a doctor the other day, and he said something about a halo. And I said, no, I don't have one of those. <laughs> I guess he caught something about, he was joking about because I was a preacher. You know, there's no such thing as a halo. Nobody's ever had one. Nobody ever will. But uh, the Lord wants us to act like God's children, and the Lord wants us to be transformed. Now, what happened to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration? He, for a moment there, the Bible says, his face shone, and his clothes became white. I mean, they just, it was, it was amazing. You saw the glory of God, which they hadn't seen before in that way, and he was transfigured. What would that mean? His outward appearance showed what he was inwardly, and in that he was deity, he was God. And so we as God's children should be transformed. That means we should outwardly act and look like who we really are, and that is we're children of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We have a righteousness applied to our account. We are holy ones. We are saints. We're God's children, and which it should show on the outside. So be transformed. Change our outward appearance to be conformed to our inward reality. We are God's children. Therefore, we should look like it. See, the question might be this, as people look at you, do they see Jesus? You remember in the, in the Gospels one time it says you could tell that they had been with Jesus. It just changed their life they had been with Jesus. If we live for Jesus, if we want to do what he wants us to do, we're in his word, we pray to him, we talk to him, and we desire to be what God wants us to be, it will be, it will be seen outwardly. Now, how is that transformation going to take place? Well, he says this, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word renewing means renovation. It means a complete change for the better. I remember in, in college, I, had, I mentioned Dr. Lawler the other day in a message. 
Dr. Lawler was a was a one of the professors there at Cedarville many many years ago, and uh, I remember him explaining this verse. I don't know why this stuck stuck with me all those years, but it did. He said, "Men," he said, "that word means it's similar to you going into a really dirty room and taking a broom broom and sweeping it out." <laughs> By the renewing of your mind. In other words, get all that bad stuff out of your mind. Get all that wickedness out of your mind. Don't be thinking of those things. Get renewing your mind, making it clear. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, As a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's why Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So we're to think things that are good and honest, true and honest and just and pure and lovely and good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. We're to think on those things. And as we think on those things, it transforms us. The way you think is who you really are. And so God says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The psalmist understood that in Psalm 119. He says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So we are either fashioning our lives from the pressure without from the world, letting the world fashion us from pressure without making us look like them, or we're allowing the Lord to transform us from within by the power of His Holy Spirit. God wants us to be transformed. Now, the result of Christian remembering God's mercies, presenting our bodies to the Lord, fighting against the world, and and transformation of ourselves by the renewal of our mind will be that we will find out what the will of God is. So this big mystery, how do I know God's will? The Lord says, think how good God's been to you. Present your bodies to the Lord. And don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you will find out what the will of God is. You will prove what is the will of God. Now let's look at verse 2 again. That ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove is to put to the test for the purpose of finding out. We put to the test for the purpose of finding out. You want to know God's will? Then do the things he said to do, and you will find out. You will prove. You'll put to test for the purpose of finding out the will of God, and you'll find out that it's the best for you. It's the wonderful thing for your life is to know and do the will of God. We will always find that God's will is good for us because notice what he says, that that. When we find that His will, we find that it's good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's say you are facing a temptation right now. And some people are drawing you away and trying to influence you so that you'll not be the Christian you should be. That's the devil using other people or circumstances to bring you in conformity to the world. You need to fight that conformity and you need to say, no, I'm not do that. And if you will do what you're supposed to do, present yourself to the Lord, fight against the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you will find out what God's will is for you. And that will will be good. That means good in character, beneficial to you. God's will is always good. 
you'll find that it's acceptable. It's approved by God. It's something that God wants, so it's got to be good. It's got something, something that God thinks is, knows is best for you, so it has to be the best. It's acceptable to God, and it's perfect. Now, I ask you, how can you improve on that? How can you improve on perfection? Now, the devil will tempt us to think that he can make us think he can improve on it. He'll make us think, you mean Christians can't do that? You mean if you're a Christian, you have to do this? Oh, come on, it won't hurt to do a little. And the devil will try to tempt you to think that God hasn't, doesn't have what's best for you. You remember Eve? She had the very best, the very best, made directly by the hand of God, the very best, couldn't be improved on. But the devil made her think, Oh, God's holding out on you. He was lying then, and he still lies today. Don't accept that lie. God's will is perfect. It's free from defeat, d- default. It's free, it's free from anything that would water down the goodness of God. God's will is complete. It's satisfying. It's the best for you. Our holy, all-knowing, all-wise, everywhere present, and powerful, and good God has for us what is best. We need to understand that. It's good, acceptable, and it's perfect. God's will is best. Now, to say no to the world is going to involve some things. We have to caution there because you, everyone needs to understand this, and I think you do. To say no to the world will be unpopular with the world's crowd. It will be unpopular. They will think you're weird. They will think you're a fanatic. They'll think you're unreasonable. They'll think you're radical. They'll think you're opinionated. They'll call you a right-wing extremist, which is really the wrong term to use for Christian. But they sometimes identify that with politics, you know. But just doing the right thing. They'll call you crazy, but it won't matter. It shouldn't matter. Because God says, I have what's best for you. You will say no to certain things like this. Sensual parties sexual sin, drugs, tobacco, alcohol, cursing, lying, gossip, filthy talk, cheating, stealing, abortion, malice, envy, covetousness, strife, hatred, impatience, and you could go on and on. To be doing the will of God is to say no to all those things. You also be saying yes to the Lord. And when you yield your body to the Lord and let the Lord transform you by the renewing of your mind, you'll say yes to kindness, long-suffering, tenderheartedness, gentleness, meekness, forgiveness, overcoming evil with good, patience, thankfulness, reading God's word, prayer, giving to God, regular church attendance, sharing your faith, bragging on Jesus. As you yield to the Spirit of God, He will transform you and lead you to do the will of God. And after you've gone through this process, you'll find out, I am doing the will of God. I've found out what the will of God is. God's helping me do that. But then the question comes up. Well, pastor, what about the future? I mean, if you're a young person, you want the will of God for a spouse. You want to know what God's will about, that, about marriage. Who should I marry? You want to know God, what, guilt, what God's will is about a job or what should my occupation be 
or when should I leave this job or when should I uh, leave this house or when should I uh, do this or that or how, should I, how am I going to make those decisions about a future problem I'm going to face? What about the will of God in the future, those things? Well, I believe we could say that we'll find God's future will if we're doing God's present will. It's really folly for somebody to think they're going to find God's will while they're disobeying God. You can't do that. You must obey the Lord. You see, God, God directs those who are following him. God directs people who are following him. It's interesting when you look in the Bible that there are all kinds of examples of people that God called, and those people that God calls are people who are busy serving the Lord. They're doing what God wants them to do, and then God directs them to do something. So if you want to know God's will for the future, then do God's will now. And I think the principle that Lord, the Lord used for future things is, is true today. He says, you've been faithful over a few things, I'll make you ruler over many things. So be faithful doing what God wants you to do now, obeying the Lord now, and someday you'll find out what God wants you to do later. But you find out God's, out God's future will by doing God's present will in your life. In order to do that, remember his mercies. Present your bodies to the Lord. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you'll find God's will is good. It's, it's, it's acceptable to God. It's perfect. You can't beat it. God's will is the way we need to go. May God help you to find that and do that. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for helping us to understand the will of God. It's not really a mystery. It's just that you want us to do what's right all the time. And Lord, we will, we will know what you want us to do in the future if we do what you want us to do now. Help us to be busy about that, fulfilling your will, following your commands, pleasing you, and fighting that conformity that the world tries to put upon us. May we always be what Jesus wants us to be. We pray in his name. Amen.